This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. CanDo is navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello, I'm Michael Simmons, and this is Coffeehouse Scots, a new Scottish edition of the Spectator's daily political podcast. I'm joined today by Isabel Hardman, Katie Balls, and Stephen Daisley. The Spectator is full of Scots, but to make it onto this podcast, you have to have a very specific claim. So we thought we'd go around and stake our claim to be on Coffeehouse Scots. Uh, Katie, could you start us off? I'm hoping this is enough to be invited back, but we'll see. Um, born in Aberdeen and in Scotland till the age of 18 continuously. Fairly strong, Isabel? Uh, I'm not Scottish, but I live in Scotland. I live in West Lothian, just outside Linlithgow. A new Scot, as Sturgeon would have referred to you. And how about you, Stephen? Oh, I live in Scotland, but you have to balance it out against this unfortunate fact. I have never in my life drank iron brew. Disgrace. You won't be invited back after there that goes, admission. Even there. I've had iron brew in a I'm cocktail, sorry. admittedly. There goes our plan for sponsorship. <laughs> and I should say for my own case, uh, born and bred in Edinburgh and then escaped to London at 25. So yesterday, the National Executive Committee of the SNP announced that they were going to ban journalists from attending the party's hustings. Stephen, what have they got to hide? Well... Uh, first of all, I should say that uh, Coffee House Scots is the best of the Coffee House shots, naturally. On the SNP's ban, I should say, first of all, it's now been sort of partially rescinded. They've said that they're going to allow some journalists uh, on a pool basis and possibly they're going to um, live stream it. The the initial decision by the National Executive Committee sort of smacks of that uh, very SNP reaction to any kind of scrutiny. And that is a sort of allergic reaction um, that they have. And you know, all political parties want to try and avoid scrutiny. But with the SNP, it is so much more intense. And they, you know, they do tend to overreact. You, know, you might remember uh, when uh, Alex Salmond gave his uh, resignation speech as, as First Minister after being defeated in the, uh, the independence referendum. Journalists from certain um, titles that were, uh, had been critical of Alex Salmond and the Scottish government were um, uh, were told that they weren't welcome at the uh, at the event. So this is a, a sort of a standard SNP reaction. I think you know there's also possibly an aspect here that well you know it, it's no secret that the hierarchy of the SNP has a preferred candidate in the in this race, and that's Hamza Yusuf. He is you know perhaps not a candidate who always does well under pressure under scrutiny and particularly when cameras are there and I don't know perhaps that is part of the calculation that it would be much better for him if he doesn't have to be scrutinized on on camera too much as I say it's all it's really kind of done is sort of lead to the sort of backlash of the 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 party looking ridiculous because the Labour leadership Tory leadership they you know they they invite journalists in they um they stream it and they, you know, try to make the process as open as they can, you know, as, as as tolerable for them. But I think it speaks to the instincts of the SNP when it comes to the press, and they they are not instincts that are um, favourable to to a free press and to um, openness and transparency. 
With Hamza being the preferred candidate, Isabel, I wonder if you could tell us how are the campaigns going for Hamza and the other two candidates? Well, they have finally moved off moral issues and what the candidates, in particular Kate Forbes, thinks of people's relationships and the circumstances in which their children are born, uh, which I think everyone is, is quite relieved by. I think one of the reasons that the party has, as Stephen describes so well, that that knee-jerk reaction to scrutiny and why it's got it at the moment is that it's in this very uncomfortable transition phase where it's going from being this party where there's you know one person at the focus, one cause, which is independence, and now actually, you know, I've been talking to lots of SNP MPs and MSPs who've been saying, well. I suppose now is the time to have a debate about what we stand for more widely. And they say that with real sort of um, sadness, partly because I think they've seen how bloody that can get in the other parties, in the Conservative Party and in, in Labour, where that's you know been, been very visceral over the past few years. But none of these candidates are big enough to suck all the attention to themselves. So there is now attention on issues, which for Hamza Yousaf in particular is really difficult because his approval rating as a health minister is minus 16 and the front pages in Scotland the general chat in Scotland is of a health service that is just not functioning something that obviously anyone listening from from England would also be very familiar with but it's something that is being laid at the SNP's door and indeed whenever we've seen Hamza Yousaf on the television over recent months it's largely been him standing next to Nicola Sturgeon while she's tried to defend him as her beleaguered health secretary saying I have full confidence in him which tends to be if you hear that line it's because you're in a a really very um, tricky position as a politician so it's not convenient for him for the contest to, to, to widen out it's probably more convenient for Kate Forbes who in these polls of SNP supporters, SNP voters, tends to be the uh, the front runner because her handling of um, of her brief as finance secretary gets much more approval from from voters, and so that debate again about the difference uh, in economic policies between Kate Forbes, who some are describing as a as a tartan Tory, and she she hasn't exactly pushed back that hard against that. Um, Description and then Humza Yousaf, who's who's more sort of of the left of the SNP. Again, that's a really big and uncomfortable debate for any party to be having, let alone one party that has really just come together over independence and has tried to suppress any disagreement on anything else up to this point. And um, Katie, down in Westminster at the end of last week, when it seemed that maybe Kate Forbes had, had blown up and she'd be out of the race, unionists were ecstatic at the thought that they might get Hamza Yusuf as first minister because they would see it as an easier opponent. Now over the weekend that Kate's kind of come back up the polls, what's the reaction down here? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a mixed reaction. Um, I think that there is some in Westminster, perhaps looking on a bit Machiavellian, that actually can now see the upside to Kate Forbes uh, winning this contest, which is, would it fracture the SNP? Um, because you can sense the unrest and the concern amongst SNP politicians. I've spoken to some in Westminster who are saying, you know, why hasn't Kate Forbes dropped out? Every interview she does is a problem for us. And I... This was last week when I think, as Isabel points to, the interviews are much more on uh, you know, social conscience issues. Every interview seemed to create a new headline, which was going against what SNP politicians see as their progressive um, image. 
But I, I think the fact that she is sticking in there, the polls suggest that this has not been this huge dent to her popularity that I think was the initial presumption. It means that, yes, Scottish Conservatives, Scottish Labour could have a candidate who looks pretty reasonable on the economy, who would have points there. But they also have a candidate who the Greens would struggle to support. What would that then mean for the SNP Green Coalition if Kate Forbes takes over? That could create some turmoil, which could be an advantage for parties like the Scottish Conservatives and Scottish Labour. And then also in the long run, what happens if Kate Forbes win? Does Mary Black, uh, someone who clearly from various comments, who's deputy leader at Westminster for the SNP. Is that something she can tolerate, uh, whether the party's going to stay very well behaved? So so I think, although Kate Forbes, and I know Stephen wrote this too about the, the sense both in Scottish Parliament as well as in the UK government, I've written about this, was the candidate that the Tories are the most concerned about. I think any candidate that will struggle to bring together a party's coalition creates plenty of opportunities. So I think it's, it's a bit of a mixed picture and, and you can sense that there's trepidation too up um, when it comes to the SNP concerned that actually their go-to candidate for the reasons we've just heard from cleaning the NHS is just not that popular. I think it's one of the reasons they wanted to have closed hustings. It's telling that Kate Forbes was one of the first to come out and say that these should be transparent because it does benefit her. And, and Stephen, looking, looking more at Kate Forbes, yesterday she spoke at an event and she said some sort of centre-right things about the future of the NHS, the future of the National Care Service and her views on taxation. Do you think a move more to the centre is something that SNP party members would wear? I think it depends what you mean by a move to the centre. I think uh, Kate Forbes is... I mean, we should be wary of, of suggesting that Kate Forbes is some, you know, right-winger, you know, because she's not not even really in SNP terms. She is, you know, she is very moderate, but, you know, she is someone who, for example, I think she was the, the first candidate and perhaps so far the only candidate in this uh, campaign to be talking about poverty and about the role of the government in, in, in the state in alleviating poverty. Um, I think that it's true, certainly, on some of what you might call the social issues. Um, you know, she, on the, the Gender Recognition Reform Bill, which has been blocked by Westminster, she said she wouldn't challenge that in court. You know, that is something that obviously would not sit well, certainly wouldn't sit well with the Greens, although I, I don't really see the Greens remaining in coalition with the SNP if Kate Forbes wins. And, I'm, you know, I'm not sure that Kate Forbes would necessarily see that as a bad thing. Because I've given the Greens have brought probably two of the most controversial issues to the fore and, and kind of lumbered them on the Scottish government. One is the GRR and the other is the this current deposit return scheme, which is um, seems to be falling falling apart at the seams. In terms of economics, it's it's probably true that Kate Forbes is is more attuned to business. And um, that's, you know, I don't think that necessarily everyone in the SNP will see that as a bad thing. You know, the SNP, you know, historically has kind of shifted all over the political spectrum, d- depending on, you know, what was the the, the kind of the political um, lay of the land at the time. And I think there is a, I mean, certainly with people I talk to in the SNP, even those who are on the left, there is an understanding that the, that the party and particularly the Scottish government has really become unmoored from Scottish business and that you know that deposit return scheme that I mentioned is just one example of it and there is a kind of across the the sort of internal ideological spectrum there is a a desire to to reforge the kind of relationship with Scottish business that the party government had under Alex Salmond for example which is a much more seen as a much more productive 
um, working relationship, you know, there there would undoubtedly be um, a lot of people unhappy with with Kate Forbes winning. We're talking though about the sort of the the kind of uber activist class of the SNP, and there are probably some who would leave, particularly over you know, issues like gender recognition and and LGBT rights. I think the party more broadly in terms of the membership, provided that she is, you know, remains committed to advancing the case for independence and wants to sort of cut a path of kind of competent governance and, you know, strengthening, you know, public services, I think that there is room for manoeuvre there where she can, you know, say to the membership, you know, nothing quite like a kind of, you know, what Tony Blair did with the Labour Party or in reverse what David Cameron did with the Tories, but more a kind of a, a change of tone, a change of emphasis here and there so that the the SNP doesn't seem quite as hostile to business, so that it doesn't seem quite as keen to, to, to raise taxes all the time. And so, I, th- I, I, you know, yes, there's potential pitfalls there, but I think, you know, Forbes is shown over the last three years as finance secretary that she knows how to manoeuvre some of these really difficult questions. And Isabel, just to finish us off, where does the campaign go from here? What are the flashpoints and when will we know who's won? So voting starts on the 13th of March and then there will be an announcement of the winner on the 27th of March. Thank you, Isabel. Thanks, Katie. And thanks, Stephen. Do look out for these uh, podcasts. We'll be doing Coffeehouse Scots now and again as the leadership campaign progresses. Thank you for listening.